Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. It's me, Kate Borsay. Hello. And alongside me, as ever, one of my partners in crime, it's the uber-talented, and I say uber-talented because she's better than an Uber driver, the amount of miles she clocks up. It's Premier League reporter Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Linz. Hello. The miles are coming to an end, though. Only a few weeks left. <gasps> It is, of course, the short run into the end of the season. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, actually. But making her offside rule debut, it's former England, Arsenal and Juventus forward Leanne Sanderson in her Manchester United onesie, declaring her colours from the start. Hello to you, Leanne. Hello, hello, hello. That was confidential. I didn't want everybody to know that. Absolutely. (laughs) It's out there now. I'm, I'm wearing it with pride. I'm wearing it with pride. (laughs) We had Mandy Henry on the show last week, Leanne, who's a Manchester United fan. Then you're filling in for Hayley, who's a Man United fan. It feels like we replace one for another. Uh, What have you made of their season? Well, it's good to know we're still out there, you know, um, with regards (laughs) to being Man United fans. I think I meet a lot of Man United fans still now. So it's nice to know we're still supporting the team, even when we're not winning things like we're historically used to doing. Um, I think it's been a weird time for a Man United fan. I really do. It's one of those things where I've grown up, obviously, we've won everything. And now times have changed. But there was times during the season I felt like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was going to go. And then one minute we'll beat a team 9-0. And then we'll lose a game against Sheffield United. It's been the craziest time. And I've learned to just not get too carried away. Because when Manchester United play, honestly, I'm a nightmare. Um, (laughs) I'm more of a nightmare when they play than when I played myself. I get so annoyed. I'm like a different person. Um, I don't like it. Like When I I first met my girlfriend, I didn't want her to watch the game with me. Because I'm like a completely different person so um <laughs> yeah I, I, it, honestly it's really weird like in um I won't bore you with all the stories but in 99 when we were on the treble and Dennis Burke out and got the penalty I actually kicked my door frame and broke my little toe and I'm not an aggressive oh person gosh. anybody that knows me will tell well, you, you I know should, you should totally know. know better it's like one of those comedy football injuries isn't it I know but the thing is anybody that knows me will know I don't have an aggressive bone in my body but Seems to be when Man United are playing, I've actually got better because we, I've got not used to us losing, but we're not the time kind of formidable force that we used to be. But yeah, so I broke my little toe, still played through it, taped it a little bit together. I don't think I really told anybody. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, off I went. But yeah, it's still, still we're in second place in the Premier League. So, and you know, we're not doing too badly in the Europa League. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, been a weird season for Manchester United fans, I'm sure, up and down like a roller coaster. I can yeah. get a bit like that with England, you know, Leanne. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've had I was times about of... to out you, Linz, and say that, but I thought, <laughs> no, I'll be a good friend. I won't tell anyone about the time that we were in the women's toilets after watching an England game, Lindsay Hooper. Yeah, and I think I tore a poster off the wall, didn't I? You, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not think, the only one then that's nutter. I think you might have sort of slightly tapped a hand dryer as well at the same time. But, you know, everyone's allowed their moments of football aggression. I'd say that that's that completely was us, normal. That was us, though, being beaten by USA. And I just thought, yeah. come on. It was it's crazy point. what it does to you, right? Like, it, it's crazy what football can do to you. Like, how it can just make you just be so into it that you're like, there's so much elation and then there's so much disappointment. That's why we love it, right? So one minute you can be absolutely happy. And then I've been in tears when I was younger. Frankly, I don't cry as much anymore. (laughs) But I used to cry. Like, and I used to say to my mum, I'm not going to school. Like, I was a nightmare. How do you get on with the punditry then, Leanne? Do you do you kick the underneath of the table or are you learning to kind of take that more neutral point of view? Because it must be difficult if you've got sort of an allegiance to one of the teams playing. Do you know what? I have to um, switch stuff. And to be honest, I think they don't give me Man United games on purpose <laughs> because <laughs> I don't think wise. I could hold, hold it down too much. But yeah, I've kind of, um, when I first started doing, like I've done punditry for quite a long time, actually. I used to go into BBC London when I was like 14 years old, every single wow. Monday with Caroline Barker. So I've done it for quite a long time. Obviously, in recent times, it seems to be like I'm doing a lot more, but I've worked with Sky for like two or three years. And, you know, sometimes it's like I have to turn the we into them. Because I'll be like, we played well and I'm having to be, they don't tell me, don't be biased, but I don't want to seem like I'm a super fan. Do you know what I mean? Because you obviously want to give your opinion. It is difficult because when you love a team and you feel the allegiances towards it, the same as Arsenal, you know, I played at Arsenal for 12 years so and Chelsea. So I do feel like a, a connection to them, but I kind of have to separate the two. 
And I'm quite critical of Man United as well. So it's probably better that I don't speak but about them. But at the same time, it's like I would rather not um, do Man United games potentially based upon, you know, my bias towards them. But yeah, turning the we into them or it's quite difficult. When I was doing CBS America, that's kind of where you have to be a bit you know, I'm biased. And the producer did say to me, Leanne, you did fantastically well, but can we just make sure we stop saying we? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, he wasn't having a go there. at me. He wasn't there. having a go at me, but it was just one of those things where it was like, it's, it's a habit, isn't it? I had the opposite, Leanne, at Wolves because I, um, I've i been so trained in media for so many years to to be the they and them and never ever show your allegiance too much. Although that has changed over recent years where they've more encouraged you to have an opinion about your own team. Yeah. But, so as Wolves have got better. <laughs> And as Wolves have got better, I've definitely been more outspoken, yeah. Um, But then at Molyneux, I got invited to do the European night hosting pitch side for the club. And the very first time I did it, I I stuck with my neutral sort of vernacular. And then they came back to me and said, actually, it's fine, Lindsay, for you to say we. (laughs) I thought, I can't do this. I've been training all my life not to do it. No, it's true. It's a weird one. Well, listen, let's get stuck into the show. We've got some great stuff coming up today. I was really interested um, by the whole Spotify rumour connected to Arsenal. They have poo-pooed any chance of a takeover, but it got me thinking about weird club sponsorship hookups and what that might mean for the team. So that's coming up. Uh, Been lots of meetings recently. Of course, we're not still yet over the European Super League meltdown that happened um, last week. Uh, Lots of meetings taking place. So we're going to be talking about some famous incidents instances of those. Let's get cracking though as we talk about how much is still to play for across the Football League. Okay, topic one, not long left. It's crunch time, just two games to go for most of the teams across the Football League. So we want to know who's going to make it and who's going to break it come the end of the season. There's still so much to decide. So both of you, I'd like you to pick two teams from the Football League, predict one for promotion and one for relegation based on where they are and what they've got left to play for. Lindsay, give us your first one. I'm going to start with the doom and gloom of relegation. Um, I think in League One, it's too late now for Rochdale. So there was this thriller of a game midweek against AFC Wimbledon. If any of you missed this, honestly, it was end-to-end, so much at stake as well. 3-3, the final score, and AFC Wimbledon equalised in the 97th minute. Now, had Rochdale just hung on, they would have given themselves a chance of survival with two games to go in League One. But slipping those points, I just think one isn't enough. They're four points from safety. They've got these two games remaining. They're relying on other people above them slipping up. They've got Doncaster at home this Saturday, and then uh, next Sunday, they've got MK Dons away. And I just think it's over now. Rochdale have got to resign themselves to the fact that with that result midweek, they are probably going down to League Two. There's a lot of this, isn't there, where teams are relying on others around them. And this is where it gets dicey, but it gets exciting for the neutral. Uh, Leanne, who have you gone with as uh, a team you think will be relegated? Yes, I mean, I think it's great. You know, Akin Fenwa scored his first goal in the championship uh, the other day, but I think Wickham will be unfortunately going down. I know they've had a lot of experience in League One, but I just can't see them staying up. Yes, they're only you know two points away from Sheffield Wednesday and Rotherham and Derby County have been in and around there all season. I think Wayne Rooney coming into Derby, you know, I think they had a really good start to the campaign there. And when you get a new manager, you often want to prove them, you know, that you want to be in the team and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people have spoken about Derby potentially still going down, but I think they're going to stay up. So I think Wickham, it's inevitable for them. They're going to go down. I don't think they're going to have enough points. Yeah, the, the championship's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've sort of got Wickham down already. Sorry, Leanne, I've just completely <laughs> ruled them out. Although I know it's mathematically possible that yeah. they might still stay in it. But you've essentially got this kind of three-way battle, haven't you, between Derby, Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday. And it's so tight down there. It is tough to call because you've got those teams up against competition, which is playing for different things. Um, I don't know why I think Sheffield Wednesday will be okay. I just think they will be. Um, I think Darren Moore coming back into the dugout after, of course, he contracted pneumonia following COVID will make a difference. Um, I just 
feel like it's going to be okay for them. And I've sort of concentrated my concern on Rotherham and Derby simply because both teams are in such a bad run of form. Um, Rotherham have lost an awful lot of games. They played nine in April. So they've had this big sort of um, fixture congestion to deal with in April. They've played nine. They've lost seven of them, lost the last five. So when you look at momentum, it's really, really difficult. Um, They got Blackburn, Luton and Cardiff next. So they've got a game in hand, basically. The only thing in their favour is that Blackburn, Luton and Cardiff don't really have a lot to play for. When I look at Derby, and as you mentioned, you've got the Wayne Rooney effect there. And no one wants that to be a story of failure, do they? But they've got a four-point advantage over Rotherham. That's in their favour. But their run of form is probably worse than Rotherham. Um, They've basically just won one game in the last two months. Um, That was against Luton. So of their last 12, only one win throughout March and April. Goal difference not really a factor in all these calculations. Problem for Derby is they've got Swansea next, who want to secure a playoff spot. And they've got that huge tie against Sheffield Wednesday right at the end of the season, which will be probably maybe the tie that decides it all. But they've got two humdingers of games coming up. So kind of as much as I don't want to say Derby are going to go down because I want it to be a successful project there. That's sort of where I'm leaning towards. What I'm hearing from both of you is that you've got two of the main three contenders to go down because I think, yeah, you probably do write Wickham off. So um, you've got Derby staying up, Leanne, and Kate's got Sheffield Wednesday. We've got got two of the three. We've got two of the three covered. So if I dip in now and say Rotherham, we're absolutely sorted. One of us has got it right. Um, Whilst we're on the championship, uh, looking at the other end of the table, because I know a lot of the promotion has already been secured. We know that Norwich and Watford are coming back into the Premier League first time of asking. And do you know, if Bournemouth managed to join them uh, through the playoffs, it will be the first time in Premier League history that all three teams that were relegated yes. return back to the top true, flight, which true. would be incredible, wouldn't it? What about promotion for you, Linz? I've focused my attention on Bolton in League Two. Um, they are the size of club that when you historically look back, they've been in the Premier League, the size of the fan base. This is a huge club, Bolton Wanderers. And they're the sort of team that I really like to see do well. And recent years, it has been abysmal for them for many different reasons behind the scenes that we haven't got time to go into. But the fact that they're even in League Two in the first place is is terrible for their fan base. But they have been on this incredible run since February. It's seen them spring from 20th in League Two up to third, and they still have got a fighting chance of winning the League Two title outright with these games that are left. They can absolutely secure promotion, Kate, at home against Exeter on Saturday with a game to spare what a turnaround in season that would be for Bolton. Certainly would. Another team who could, um, if my maths is correct, go up at the weekend is Peterborough. So in League One, Huller up already promoted. Peterborough threw away the chance to secure their automatic promotion from League One at the weekend. They they wasted a two-goal lead in that two-all draw at home to Doncaster. Perhaps last-minute nerves involved in that one. So Peterborough have got Lincoln to play and Doncaster again in their two remaining games. But Lincoln at the weekend, what a humdinger. Lincoln are eight points behind Peterborough, but with a game in hand. So they could technically do it as well. So you've got these two teams fighting for it. But I ultimately think Peterborough will succeed in this one. And they're my prediction to go up and at the weekend, a bit like you, Linz. Um, Leanne, what about you when we look at promotion? Yeah, I'm going to go with um, in the championship, back to the championship, and I'm going to go with Brentford. I think, you know, the amount of investment that the owners have made, their new stadium, they just look like a team. I mean, I pass their stadium nearly every day when I go to Sky, and I'm in awe of the stadium. I played there a couple of times at the old stadium, but they just seem like a team similar to Derby that have invested a lot of money. I think, Mm. you know, with regards to, they're obviously in third in the championship, they're going to have to go through the playoffs. But I think, obviously, Watford and Norwich have just run away with it. They just seem like they're a little bit, not really far off of the top two, but kind of, you know, seven points. I think you look at a Bournemouth, Swansea, Barnsley, I think Reading have obviously been in around there at the beginning of the season as well. But I just think Brentford, I think they have all the tools in their locker to potentially get that promotion and go up. But you never know because they have to go through the playoffs. So I'm going to go with Brentford. 
Famously, Good. though, the team that finishes in third, Leanne, they don't often have a great success rate, do they, at, at going up? The the team that just misses out on those automatic spots, it can sometimes resonate with them a little bit. I agree with you, though. You know, Brentford's such a well-run club um, and they really have put so much in the last couple of years into the development of that stadium. They seem ready for it. However, do you not think the form team at the moment, Barnsley, I've just got a feeling about them. We'll yes, see. but it... But it'd still be an outside chance for them, wouldn't it? Because it is, yeah. it's sort of one of those things where they've got this terrific run of form. But actually, when it comes to the playoffs and everything involved with that, the mental side of it, they might struggle a little Huge. bit just because it's yeah. I remember come when Barnsley were in the Premier League when I was younger. Do you remember when yes. Barnsley were in the Premier League? And I, used yes. to have the, I remember in my Premier League sticker book, I used to have them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reveal to you, Leanne, I've had a sticker book this season. How sad is that? It's not sad. It was one of the best things was when you used to go to the playground and you'd always be like, got, 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 stick. And someone would have like a shiny and Aston Villa badge. You'd be like buzzing because someone had a sticker that you didn't have. Honestly, I miss those times. It's brilliant. And in fact, those Barnsley Premier League stickers will probably be worth a fair (laughs) few bob because it's not like they've uh, been able to replicate that that feat again, is it? Um, Whilst we're talking about teams that could do it this weekend, uh, Lindsay, we were talking before the show and you made a great point actually about how they won't be celebrating on social media. No, well, there's the social media boycott that's happening this weekend, um, which is for a really important reason. I do think, though, going back to when I mentioned Bolton, for instance, who who might get um, promoted this weekend, they might have that secured on Saturday, it will be such a silent celebration for them. And I'm just using these as an example of a club, for instance, because they won't be going on social media. They've already agreed they're not doing that. Um, We'll get onto that in a minute. But they haven't had fans in the stadium. Their manager, Ian Everett, he's yet to have taken charge of a game with fans in the stadium. There are players there that might leave this summer having not actually met the fans or played in front of them. And yeah, it's a real real strange one, but it's such an important important protest that I think Mm -hmm. everyone gets involved with. We know that we, we're united and the offside rule won't be having any social media activity like a lot of football clubs and football companies. And I'm sure, Leanne, you feel really strongly about this, that something needs to be done. I've seen your activity on social media myself this week and you, you must feel very strongly that something has to happen. But it's just interesting, the timing of it all. Yeah, it is. And it's definite, you know, I'm a big uh, outspoken about this quite often. And I wish I didn't have to speak about it as often as I do. But the amount of abuse that I get on social media, you know, and it's been ongoing for around three or four years now. And it's when I'm obviously um, on predominantly male followed accounts, I would say Sky Sports, Talk Sport, and companies like that, it seems like people just come after me. And I've always said, um, it's absolutely fine if you don't think I'm a good footballer. Obviously, I want everybody to love me as a player <laughs> and a pundit, but I just don't see the need why you have to be, you know, homophobic, uh, racist and sexist. Those are the things I never really understand. Yeah. And people have asked me, do I, you know, I'll be taking part in the boycott. I'm all for, I don't think it's divide and conquer. I think we need to stay united. I've said this many times before. So I'll be doing the same thing, but we just won't know the impact it's made until maybe next week, because I said it again yesterday. At the end of the day, doing a boycott for four days isn't going to eradicate racist racist people, is it? Or homophobic people. But or hatred generally. Will, you know, exactly. Yeah. It isn't. What but do you think is going time, to come out of it, um, Le- Leanne? If we take a little step back and say, yes, it's great to see the football world, uh, the uh, football community here unite in this. Um, what do we hope is going to come out of it? I hope that the companies will be able to, you know, stick by... What they're trying to do, I mean, you're talking about billion dollar companies, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And a lot of the times when you report things, they say it doesn't violate the rules. And that's because they don't have people that work for the company that are doing this full time. I mean, if I put a song up there, it's being taken down because of copyright instantly. So if you have a place where as soon as they put an emoji or they say something, it gets taken away. They just aren't doing anything at all. And that's my problem. Mm -hmm. They genuinely are not. And it's not until I I don't want to share. I mean, I could share something every single day on my social media that's horrific. But the reason why I shared stuff yesterday and the day before is because I need people's help. You know, I'm almost like in desperation here because I don't want to take a break from social media forever and delete my account because I do get a lot of people that are nice to me. And also because you shouldn't have to either, should you? No, but I've had this debate back and forth because I think that it means they're winning. But at the end of the day, if people are allowed to just make an account and not show their ID. I know a lot of people are against showing their ID, but I think it's because they've never been abused in the way that people like myself have. 
I'm all for, you know, protecting your privacy. But at the same time, there has to be something done. I do believe you should have to give your passport to be able to get an account. So then if anything that comes out of your account, you're you're liable for whatever you're posting. I don't want the yeah. police to have to be knocking on people's doors because people are posting things. But it is hate. And it is considered a hate crime with some of the stuff that I get. And, you know, I was in tears last week talking about, like, feeling because I'd done Real Madrid versus Liverpool on Sky Sports News along with Vicky and Kate, who obviously a female, and got absolutely hammered just for being a woman and, you know, and all those things. So more needs to be done. But one thing I will say is the duty of care that Sky show me has been amazing. You know, the boss called me. How are you doing? Because this is what people forget. You're a human at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think people yeah. forget that. They're just like, oh, you're in the public eye. You just seem like you're doing, I'm having the best time. We all love talking about football, don't we? Like, yes. this is the best job. Yeah. It doesn't even feel like They're a They're not going to stop us, Leanne. Absolutely. But at the <laughs> same time, we're still human. And I think people forget that. Something needs to change crucially in terms of um, what these social media sites are seen as. And I think there's a lot of multi-million pound owners that do not want to be seen as a publishing site. And at the moment, you know, if a copyright thing happens, I think that falls under one slight legislation. But actually adapting what people can and cannot say um, then makes them editorially in charge of that and I think it creates a new legislation and I think that's then has a whole other knock-on effect but they have to get that ready and they have to be prepared that that's the route they need to go down it has to happen and the way that I see it is this social media blackout this weekend might have to be the first of many you know I, I, I liken it to when people campaign you know for getting extra wages for driving trains and the unions get together and then we have a rail strike we might have to keep striking because one isn't going to hurt these companies enough for them to change from the top down the way that the the business operates. And I think it needs an overhaul and it probably has many more permutations that any of us, the three of us, can can really comprehend if they change the model of what the actual business is, but they have to. You're right. Listen, this is a conversation that we could have for a whole half an hour, isn't it? Because there's loads of things swirling around in my head too now that we've been talking, but we will carry on with the show. Um, as Lindsay said, the offside rule are on board, um, as are, of course, all the major football leagues uh, in England. There's lots to be done. Uh, let's see what the effect of it is. Well, I guess moving on to our next topic then, we'll be hoping that there'll be some meetings within social media companies to try and get something done. What can they concoct quickly? Talking about meetings of minds, there's been a fair few of those, secret ones, public ones, uh, but a fair few about the European Super League, um, but also teams meeting as well as Chelsea and Madrid met in Europe for the first time since 1998 this week, a long-awaited reunion. So let's talk about other famous football meetings. These can be on or off the pitch. Linz, I'll go to you first. I'm sticking on the pitch, actually. I've had enough of meetings behind closed doors now. I'm going (laughs) to shut those two. Although I will I will say one thing and I wonder Leanne's opinion on this did you hear Leanne when Jose Mourinho got sacked at Spurs last week that he then had a four hour meeting with the Spurs players afterwards having a a conflab with them I just wondered can football meetings as a player sometimes be too long oh wow I didn't even know that Mourinho did that to be honest I had no idea that he'd had a meeting with them for four hours but I do think, you know, when I played for England, the other nations used to often make fun of us because they said, there they are again. The England girls are having a meeting about a meeting about a meeting. Because <laughs> on our board, we'd have a whiteboard and it would have everything on it, literally like when to wake up, when to go to sleep, when we were allowed to eat. Everything was conditioned down to a T. And the Americans were chilling around, you know, with their own clothes on. We'd be in our button polo shirts and Listen. like... <laughs> Lindsay and I caught, like, caught a couple of the French players having a cigarette behind the back yeah, of the restaurant, Leanne, in we Canada. Did. So we know exactly yeah. what was no, going I on. I mean, but... yeah, and that's not good, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah, I do think sometimes, different. me as a player, me as a player, I didn't personally like a lot of meetings. I just want to play football. I love the beautiful mm. game. You know, I didn't need to really know uh, who I was going up against in this. I wanted to ask about it, but I think we were all just kind of told, this is what you're doing. So I do think some meetings can be constructive, but sometimes... When I played for England, it was just too many meetings. And anybody who played for England growing up will tell you the same thing. Well, as we've got actual meeting fatigue, I'm going to go for on the pitch stuff then, okay? So we'll have meetings of minds on the pitch. And and I thought with the Euros coming up, because we're all so excited about that now, I was going to go back to one of my favourite Euros in 2000. 
And I remember watching every single match of this tournament. Um, I was a student at the time, probably meant to be studying, but I remember being in my student digs, watching match after match. And the one that really got me at the time was in the semi-finals. I don't know whether both of you remember this, but it was France against Portugal. And it meant Zidane going up against Figo. And they were two of the best players in Europe, the world at that point in time, back in 2000. You're talking the Ronaldo versus Messi equivalent of today, aren't you? And they slogged it out for a place in the final, these two. It was one of the most memorable games that I've ever watched live. Um, I can just remember Portugal took the lead in the first half, Nuno Gomez, and then France equalised in the second, and that was an Anelka on link up. And then Zidane in this match, easily one of the best he's ever played. That's when he became one of my favourite players in the world. Mm. I still hold him like that. And there's some questionable things that he's done since. But I, after this game in particular, he was one of my favourite ever. The game ended and it was actually Zidane who fired in a penalty in extra time and sent France into the final. But if you remember that, it got me all, all worked up for this Euros tournament this summer because I want matches like that one. That was a meeting of minds between two players. Love it. Leanne, give us one of your football meetings. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough when I played for Arsenal, we were able to go to the Stade de France to see the 2006 Champions League final, Barcelona versus Arsenal. And awesome. um, it was unreal. You know, I think from a neutral perspective, obviously I wanted Arsenal to win. But what was amazing is that like the men flew us there to France. It was brilliant. And obviously Arsenal women were always ahead of the game with stuff like that. And we were always, wherever the yeah. men played, we got to go. So that was also a nice touch as well. But obviously... Arsenal were doing really well. Samuel Eto'o that day was unreal. But then Jens, Jens Lehmann ended up getting sent off. You know, I think it was in like the first 20 minutes of the game. It completely changed how the game panned out because Arsenal were in a really good spot. And, you know, Arsenal have never been back to the Champions League final since. And it was probably one of their best squads they ever had. You know, Thierry Henry, Sol Campbell, Van Persie. So I just remember being there at the start of France in the Champions League final. It was brilliant. When you hear the Champions League music, wherever you are, whether it's on TV... <laughs> whether you're at a live game. When I played for Juventus as well, my first ever men's game was against Tottenham in the Champions League. And I remember I literally cry every time I hear that. And I don't know what it is about that music, the Champions There's League music. About that there music. is something about it. You know, the, um, the um, Napoli fans sing it, don't they? So, oh, really? Um, all of their crowd, ba- yeah, look up the Napoli fans singing the Champions League song. They basically do it whenever they're in the competition they basically have this have this sing-along and you can you can only imagine a group of Italians mm-hmm. singing it it's 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 it, it's it's spine tingling it's awesome yeah. I know that the European Super League is now defunct but given the branding that they had which looked a bit amateur I, I don't think they could have competed with the song could they no, no absolutely not how would they have done that? Um, I'm going to talk about meetings of minds in terms of bosses, football managers, because there's been a fair few clashes over the years, hasn't there? Just interestingly, uh, a little footnote, of course, we've got tonight, this Thursday that we're recording Arsenal playing Villarreal in the Europa League. And you've got a former boss in Unai Emery meeting, of course, the current Arsenal boss in Mikel Arteta. So I love it when that happens. Although if you're Sam Allardyce, it probably happens nearly every other game, the kind of number of, <laughs> <laughs> number of not not in the Champions League or Europa League. <laughs> no, though. no, exactly. There's a great quote on The Athletic today um, from a uh, training ground source. And it says, Unai lives in his head, Mikel gets in other people's. Um, so I love that comparison between uh, past boss and present boss. Uh, when, when we're talking about managers, uh, I also want to nod to the fact that it's the 25th anniversary of Kevin Keegan's rant towards Alex Ferguson. I would love I it if that. we beat them. <laughs> love it. There was no better. I mean, you've got kind of Rafa Benitez and Alex Ferguson and mind games and facts. Um, but this is one of the absolute ultimate ones. Of course, Kevin Keegan... 96, rattled by Sir Alex Ferguson's suggestion that teams tried harder against Manchester United than they did against Keegan's team, Newcastle. But that goes down as one of the great meetings or clashes uh, between football bosses. Uh, who's got another one? Lindsay? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Champions League as well. 2005, this was in the quarterfinals, Chelsea against Barcelona. It was Chelsea 4, Barca 2 for the leg that I'm about to talk about. Now, 
we have to go back to the first leg because the first leg defeat was 2-1 at Camp Nou and that was where Drogba had been sent off. And here's where the mind games begin from Mourinho because he accused Barca's Frank Rijkaard of going into the referee's room at half-time for a little chat. Now, off the back of that, and he went very public, and this has a really serious note given some of the other things that we've discussed on the show today, Um Fast forward, Rijkaard actually left football. He quit football after receiving death threats from that. So it was really, really serious. Um, But going back to the match itself, John Terry, you might remember, his header sent Chelsea through. And then there was a huge scrap as well in the tunnel afterwards. It just had a bit of everything. And just even though Barca lost this and uh, Chelsea went through the narrowest of margins, uh, it did not stop Ronaldinho being the star of the show. He was the star of the show in this match, like magical goal uh, one of the ones that that would be in his show reel of goals absolutely but yeah I thought in terms of um, showing Mourinho and what he could do in terms of getting under other managers skins I thought this was one of the the examples all right well I'm going to trash this up a bit in the way that only I love to uh, when we're talking about football meetings uh, we've got to talk about the illicit ones as well and my mind immediately goes to the fake shake sting uh, that didn't just affect Sven Goran Eriksson it also affected Newcastle United Football Club as well well. Um, who can forget the pictures in the papers, the tabloid press of Sven-Goran Eriksson uh, meeting a fake sheikh. Um, he basically, the fake sheikh was an undercover reporter, well-known person. Um, and uh, Eriksson revealed all sorts of things. He told the, the uh, fake sheikh that Aston Villa Football Club was up for sale, that Beckham would return from Real Madrid to play for England if Eriksson asked him to. He also said that Michael Owen wasn't happy at Newcastle United. Um, But the most embarrassing lines or the best lines, if we're talking about tabloid fodder, I suppose, uh, come from the two directors of Newcastle United. They resigned over their comments. Um, They were made in Spain in 98 at Freddie Shepard and Douglas Hall. And they were recorded apparently criticising Alan Shearer's clean image, uh, calling Newcastle women dogs. Thank you very much. Um, Perhaps the more funny side of this is them dismissing, uh, we've mentioned him already, former Newcastle and England manager Kevin Keegan as Shirley Temple. You just don't get stories like that anymore, do you? (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) Nobody can go undercover anymore, can they really? Because everybody can find you somehow or do their homework. Yeah, Here's, Mm. yeah. Here's a slightly topical one, and I'm asking you, I'm, I have to ask you about it. Juventus, Andrea Agnelli, of course, he's been in the headlines a lot. Did you ever meet with him when you were playing there, Leanne? Yeah, I did actually. Um, he's actually a really nice guy. And, and I think like at Juventus, it was one of those things where they were still in the process of developing when I got there. So I can't thank them enough for signing me when mm. I was injured. Um, and it was a fantastic, you know, product. But I think that with, I just think I went there too soon. You know, I went there in their second year of existence, but I actually thought he had really good idea. I mean, we went to all the things that the men were doing, we were doing. Uh, we trained like the men, which sometimes wasn't really that good because obviously our bodies are very different, um, but everything was the same. But when I met Agnelli at the, um, I met him in the car park one time, we had a chat, he knew me, he said, thank you for coming to play for Juventus, because um, they very, uh, they respect people that come to their culture, you know, as long yeah. as you respect their culture. So I always felt like, and I was like, oh my God, that's the, that's the owner, you know? Well, he's become he was, like the Mr. Burns of football, hasn't he, really? If we yeah. draw on the Simpsons for a, a bit no, of a comparison. True. All right, well, let's move on to our final topic. Arsenal, they've definitely distanced themselves for now anyway uh, about any takeover by Spotify and their CEO Daniel Ek. Um, But it got me thinking about what a cool partnership it could have been and that if Arsenal were taken over by Spotify, what would be the responsibilities put upon the players to try and bring the best out of that sponsorship deal? Um, So I'd just like us to go into an imaginary round. We can, you know, talk about the Venkies and how, you know, the players had to star in that brilliant um, uh, brilliant Venkies ad advert or rather disastrous adverts. We can talk about Boiler Man at West Brom, uh, West Brom being sponsored by Ideal Boilers and what that meant for the team and Leicester and crisps and beers. Um, But I'd like us to go into an imaginary realm and think about what if. Okay, so I'd like you to pick a a company to sponsor a football team and what that might mean for the players. Linz. Well, they need to be rich. 
Very, yes. very rich, don't they? So what I did is I bought up the top 50 list of companies for revenue around the world. And I've just cherry picked a few that I thought would make good club owners. Um, this one, I think Leanna liked this one, Christian Dior. And I was just thinking you could just get them all as well as having the shirts and having all the colours that match. You could get them to all wear red lipstick whilst they're playing. <laughs> okay <laughs> that is hilarious you know what's funny was that 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 sounds really random but I like the idea I can't see them doing that but yeah <laughs> potentially well, Marta Marta's already done it remember she was um, <laughs> sponsored yeah. by a lipstick company True. wasn't she for the world cup back in uh, t- back in 2019 and, so and people talked about it it yes, was a great exactly, PR exactly Sturdy, have you yeah. ever had any weird approaches whilst we're on this topic uh, Leanne for tie-ups hmm interesting yes a lot of weird ones. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I think I get a lot of requests in my in- on my Instagram. And sometimes you're like, is this really real? But yes, it actually exactly. is. How much but are you yeah. paying me? $50 billion yeah. to wear our I know. shorts. But you know what's so funny? I'm the kind of person that it has to be the right thing. And I'm not just saying that. Like, it doesn't really matter how much someone's going to pay me. If it's not the right fit for me, then yeah. I'm not going to do it. I think a lot of times in, do you know what they used to do? I, funny, I'll tell you this, right? What they used to make us do when I was playing like, I was playing is that they'd have always they'd put us in a football kit for a newspaper and then they'd want us to be in a dress with football boots on do you remember this yes over the years and I'm thinking why are you like and when I think about this I'm like I was actually part of those photo shoots and I just used to think oh this is okay and now I'm looking back I'm like that is so cringe but it's just sexist basically isn't it with football boots on and people used to say to me oh, you look like really nice when you're, you know, like they, they're surprised that you wear makeup and they're surprised that you would like to wear a dress. And I'm like, and it was, you know what? It was absolutely to feed. It was to feed the people that wanted to see that it's like the before and after shot, isn't it? This is what they look like when they're they're playing sport and this is what they look like when they're they're dressed up. I remember it used to be every photo shoot would literally be, if it was me or whoever, it'd be like us in our football kit with no makeup on. Then all of a sudden, like a transformation, like you see on those (laughs) TV shows in the morning. I'm like, it's actually not that big of a transformation. It's also that, it was also, I think that preconception and, and, and perhaps it's it's changed a bit now, but the preconception that kind of if you're a female footballer, you don't have to be butch. And it's like, look, these are real women too. But actually, when you take a step back, Leanne, it was fundamentally quite wrong, wasn't it? Basically, yeah, the kind of it messaging, didn't feel like it was um, incorrect, messaging it was behind strange. that. <laughs> I was also, um, I've always been really curious uh, to kind of steer this on back uh, back towards brands um, about the maple syrup Birmingham City Women connection. That is that is one of my favourite sponsorship <laughs> deals for the fact that Birmingham City women have to kind of cook with maple syrup or had to. Cook I with think maple we should syrup. declare to Leanne that we actually got some maple syrup out of this. <laughs> yes, we did. Really. Yeah, we contacted Whoa. Birmingham and the maple syrup tie-in, and we got some maple syrup out of it, and we had a chat to <laughs> I think it was Keris Harrop. Uh, we did a whole bit on a podcast about um, about maple syrup, but there we go. We did, we did. I'm sure we've that got some random. more odd ones. Um, you know, you say the you partnerships. You say the partnerships have to be right, Leanne. For us, the maple syrup one absolutely made sense. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got any other examples or any other fantasy hookups in terms of sponsors or new owners getting involved in football, Leanne? Probably, I would say fantasy owner for me would probably be Cadbury's. I love chocolate. (laughs) I absolutely, I swear, I, I had my first Easter egg in like January. Not even joking. Like, I loved Cadbury's buttons. First ever I've, Easter egg. No, 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 no. Oh. Let's be clear here. My first like um, one of the year. So Easter's oh, okay, until like April. And then as soon as they started selling them in the shops, I just went there and got like seven Easter eggs. I absolutely love Easter eggs. So any uh, team that would want to be sponsored by buttons um, would be good for me because I can eat them every single oh. day. Even though they're not good for you. That would obviously be a, a fantasy of mine to be able to do that. But I do think, though, on, on, a, on a more not serious note, I do think I, I like the idea of owners being former players. I like that yes. idea, uh, potentially, because I think that football has got so out of touch with reality at this moment in time. Money, how much it is for a ticket, how much it is for people to go. Like, if you've got four kids or three kids, you go to a football match and you're not including the ticket, you're thinking, how much money is that going to cost the food? You know, I look mm, at Wembley easily, at the a couple Emirates. Of quid. Exactly. And that's without the tickets. You're talking mm. like it's almost like going to Disneyland or, or Universal Studios. So I think it would be really good if like 
when I, I saw that when they were obviously going to be taken over by the, the Spotify owner, they were talking about that. And there was also talks of like, you know, Dennis Burkamp potentially, Patrick Vieira. I think that there needs to be more of a connection to the, to the fans now. And I think football is going in a route of just too much money. And more money you have, you can go to a game more corporate. Whereas I kind of like the idea of it being still grassroots and we bring the game back to us. Do you know what I mean? Like I grew yeah, up yeah, going yeah. to Sellers Park, watching Crystal Palace and Wimbledon alternate every weekend because they were obviously sharing Sellers Park. And it was fantastic being able to go there. I used to stand outside getting my autographs, like things like that. And I just think football and the fans can't even really get close to the players anymore. So yeah, I'm just all for um, people being involved that are just not out of touch with reality. Connectivity, yeah. I've gone slightly off the wall for mine in my imaginary hookups and I haven't thought about money at all. I've just thought about stuff that might be quite cool. Um, how about Singer Sewing Machines sponsoring a team? There's been a huge uptake in men's crafting during the pandemic. Do you know that? A lot of men are crafting <laughs> oh. and knitting. If you go to Tom wow. Daly's Instagram, the famous uh, Olympic diver, he's he is so into knitting and his knitting's really impressive. But if we're to talk sewing, of course, course because of this partnership this imaginary partnership uh, the players are going to have to make all their own kits uh, whether that will go down well or not I don't know um, and then I went a bit random too how about London Zoo or ZSL um, Zoological Society of London uh, sponsoring a team uh, the mascots are going to be safari animals um, and as part of the exchange so cash for sponsorship some of the players are going to help to train up the seals in ball skills uh, going to have the first ever Gorilla 11 up against up against Rhino United so really involving uh, maximum cohesiveness between zoo animals and the you players. guys have got the most amazing imagination <laughs> I was like, I just want to eat chocolate buttons as I'm going to train. <laughs> I also think the absolute cast iron made team for this partnership is, of course, Hull City, the Tigers. So there you go. Oh. And to add to that further, I was saving this for any other business. But have you seen that the FC Toronto, uh, I don't know whether it was training. I think it was just training, not a match. It might have been a match. Um, got interrupted this week by an alligator. Yes, I saw that. Oh, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So we've, we've often, Leanne, we love doing a topic where we talk about animals invading pitches, but we've never once got to an alligator before. So when I played the Orlando Pride, they used to have like, when you live in Orlando, you get used to being told like, don't go near a lake because you know there's probably going to be a crocodile and alligator in there. But it's kind of unusual to remember that, right? If you see a lake, you think, oh, I'm just going to sit by the lake. But I actually saw a couple of alligators a couple of times and one of my teammates actually had one in their pool in their back garden. So no. it is a real thing. But for me, I was like, this is crazy. But yeah, it really happens. So if you're ever in Florida, don't go near the lakes. Definitely don't go skinny dipping. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good, cool. Well, that rounds up that topic. Uh, what about if certain companies uh, sponsored or bought certain football teams? Next, let's move on to any other business. All right, so any other business, this is the part of the show where we maybe try and find a story that's gone under the radar or something that's tickled you, or you can get something off your chest. Uh, Leanne, you're brimming and ready to go with this one. I know you've got something uh, that's been gnarling you for a little while. So what is it? Yeah, so obviously I, I've lived in America for 10 years and I've always felt like in England people have never really appreciated talent in the way that we should. You look at the likes of over the years like a Joe Cole or a Glenn Hoddle, I don't think we know how to handle talent and it wasn't until I moved to America that I felt more embraced as an individual to be a winner and I felt like sometimes in England I often felt like a bit of an alien at times and it wasn't until I moved there and they embraced me and stuff like that and I, and I go back to this with a player like Jack Grealish Yes, he's like my favourite player in the Premier League outside of Manchester United, <laughs> I have to say that. Um, but I just think there's obviously talk about him not getting picked for the Euros. Obviously, he's been injured. But the fact that conversations are being had on social media and amongst people that he might not make the squad, regardless of this was before he got injured, is ludicrous to me. It really is because I think he's the most technically gifted player we've had in a long time. Yes, I love Phil Foden. I think he's brilliant as well. But I just think, how can there be a question mark over somebody like Jack Grealish not going to a Euros? I know football is a matter of opinions, but he's fantastic. And I honestly think if he played, he could go to a Barcelona. He could go to a Real Madrid. He could go to any team and play. 
and he just plays well. But I just don't think we appreciate people enough in England. And it's not until potentially people retire, like a David Beckham. Look how many times he was brought up to be brought back down yeah. again. And so do you think hammered. we don't we don't appreciate a truly technical player, or we don't appreciate that actually England can perhaps we're still a bit self-effacing, a bit a bit embarrassed about having talent here. Yeah, I think it's when people are a little bit different. I mean, you look at Jack Grealish, you know, he looks good. He looks fit. Yes, he's made a couple of, you know, we're not going to not say he's not made some mistakes off the field, but a lot of people have made mistakes, you know. And I think he's often held on a different standard to a lot of players. And it just worries me sometimes. I hope we don't go down that route of just completely, you know, vilifying a player in a different way and holding them to a different standard. Because I just think that we should embrace a player's individuality. And I think sometimes... I felt this way at times where when you're a little bit different in England, people don't know how to handle you. And it's not because I think I'm flash why I want to have a mohawk and why I was one of the first players that had different colour boots and things like that. It's just because I like to show myself through my personality when yeah. I play. Yeah. And I think sometimes in England, I've had managers that have said things to me. This isn't just something I'm just plucking out of the air that have said things to me like, oh, you think you're too good because you've got a mohawk or you think you're too good. Like things that you wouldn't even believe that managers have said to me and I'm like actually that's not the case so I'm speaking from my own experience how I felt like my ability was never really I don't think England really got the best out of me and I think you become almost like robotic even when it comes to off the field stuff yeah it's almost like managers are too afraid of being embarrassed about you having a mohawk having coloured boots because they might see it as a little bit flash whereas this is the, this is an expression of your personality and if you go to the continent or you go to the US this is absolutely lauded you've got Megan Rapino in her pink hair and, and absolutely everyone loved it and Marta in her lipstick as well yeah, exactly. again everyone loved it um, and this is but the there may be something like in, in there yeah like, yeah and it, it wasn't until I moved there that I felt like um, I was embraced as an individual and, and people would say to me, and it's small things, like my teammates would say, I'm so, I won't swear because they would often swear, but like, I'm so glad you're on my team, Leanne. And it wasn't like I needed someone to put their arm around me all the time, but they're very much like, oh, you had a really good session today, Leanne, or whoever it might be. They're very good at giving compliments. And also, if people are not playing well, it's quite fair. And I just felt like in England, people are often more like talking about how much someone's getting paid, what someone's not getting. Why are you getting yes. it and I'm yeah, not? yeah. And I'm thinking, well, this like, point, this point about Grealish that you've made, Leanne, ties in brilliantly. It's as if we plan this, and you can just vouch for the fact we have not planned this, but this nope, just ties in to my any other business seamlessly because there has been this debate, and I think this has gone a bit under the radar this week. So, for those of you that didn't see this announcement, the England squad, the squad numbers have increased this week from 23 man squad to a 26 man squad for the Euros this summer. And what's been happening is we've been having this debate who are we going to choose? There's going to be Grealish, Ma- Madison. Then you throw in Bellingham, who's been impressing Sancho. We haven't got room for all of them. But have we? Have we now? We've got three extra places. So do <laughs> we just scrap like this Grealish chat? But it's almost like they've made Gareth Gareth Southgate's made a call and is like, can you help me out here? Because I wouldn't want to be (laughs) Gareth Southgate during this time. Would you? I mean, you're talking about I love the idea of that. It's true. I'm not saying he has, but I would be really happy if I was him because he is going to be looking to leave people at home that other people wouldn't necessarily agree with, like a Trent and stuff like that. So... I honestly think it's it's done him a favour in a weird way. Yes, you're spot on there. I, the, the first person I thought about, as well as this Grealish debate, was Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, I think that means that he will go now, whereas he might not have done before, which yeah. would have been a bit of a travesty. But anyway, uh, I'm going to link this back and just say, really nice story. Probably didn't go under, under the radar, but worth a mention. And this is Wesley Fofana, the Leicester defender, being allowed to break Ramadan fast mid-game. Uh, it was against Crystal Palace on Monday. And of course, because the game was taking place on Monday night, is the sunset. Um, they needed to be able to, Wesley and also Kiate as well, needed to be able to break their fast mid-game. And it happened for the first ever time in Premier League history. So I thought that was really nice to mark. Um, quick one on Champions League money. In the women's game, um, UEFA's decided to quadruple the total compensation to clubs in the UEFA Women's Champions League. Uh, Leanne, I'll aim this one at you. So the 16 who qualify for the group stages at present are guaranteed now €400,000 each. And as one of the smaller side, because it's not necessarily a massive, massive 
it is a big story, but clubs over here are perhaps better resourced than some of the smaller clubs around Europe. And as one of them's pointed out, that's half their budget just for being able to get into that 16 of the Champions League. So a huge move forward again for the women's game. Yeah, it's massive. I think, you know, oftentimes people don't realise, I don't think people really know how much female players get paid or what they don't get paid. I think it's just always speculation. So when people see this type of thing, they think to themselves, when you see a player like Penilla Harder going to Chelsea for 300000 I never dreamed in, in my time that I would see a player going for that much money. So I think we often have to almost like celebrate where we're at in a weird way because I think there's a lot of yeah. negativity. But I also think there's been a lot of progression. And, you know, with the, when you look at the men's game, how much revenue that brings in. It's so great that we're able to get this type of figures now because do we deserve more? Absolutely. But at the same time, I think we have to be grateful at this moment in time that the game has taken off. I'm sure you guys yeah. have seen it in as yourself. Long as it's You've been around it. Right, Leanne? Exactly. You guys have been around it for long enough, you know, been to World Cups when you watched us play. So you've seen the difference. And I think there's a lot of fans that have been in around the women's game for years and years, for over 30 years when Arsenal women were founded. And it's like to see how much the progression has been, it's been, it's been remarkable. So hopefully long may it continue. Yes, it's amazing that this prize money has been put in there because, as you mentioned, the budget is very low in the women's game. But I just don't want to see the lower teams becoming even less competitive and the top teams running away because it seems that way at times you look at a Bristol City in the WSL and you look at a Chelsea or a Manchester City you can't compete when you see a player getting paid 15,000 and you see a player getting paid 150,000 for a season you, you can't compete with that and that's not anyone's fault that's just the reality so I hope that the lower teams can also you know find a way of getting funds as well because otherwise we'll see more and more um, less competitiveness happen in the league. But it yeah. is a step in the right direction. Well, last words to Leanne Sanderson there because we need to say our goodbyes and go. It's been a brilliant episode, Leanne, and we've really enjoyed getting your take on things as well. It's refreshing to have a new voice on the pod too. Um, you've got a busy week coming up as well. Tell us what's going to be happening for you. Yes, obviously with the Europa League, I'm going to be covering those games um, this evening, which I'm looking forward to. And then this weekend, I'm doing um, the Women's Champions League semi-final, Chelsea versus Bayern Munich. And then straight after that, I'm going to do Sheffield United versus Tottenham. And then Friday, I'm on TalkSport. So very busy week ahead, but I love what (laughs) I do. So it's all good. But thanks to you guys for having me. It's been fantastic. And um, yeah, thanks a lot. Lindsay, with the weekend coming up, that little mileage gauge on your car will be getting ready to go up. Where are you heading off to? It's the final Prime Video um, Premier League game of the season. So I'll be on on Saturday at the Amex to see Brighton against Leeds. That should be a very open game. And then on Monday, Kate, I've got the Black Country Derby, oh. the other one, the one at the Hawthorns. Oh, I see. So, um, yeah, I've got that one to look forward to. I'm not feeling full of confidence, actually, with Wolves' current form. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's just one of those instances where you want, as a Wolves fan, you just want to get through to the end of the season in one yes. piece. Yeah. Um, well, listen, if you want to check out what the Offside Rule have been up to, it's at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Insta. But don't forget, we're taking part in the social media blackout this weekend. So you won't see anything from us this week from Friday at 3pm through to the end of Monday night. Um, big thanks again, Leanne, to you for joining us. Uh, Lindsay, we'll be back with everyone next week, won't we? We will too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at offsiderulepod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic. Sports Social Podcast Network.